Welcome to In Discussion and Crossing Over the Bridge, the ninth in the series, and this on the United Human Nation in Louisiana, in the aftermath of the Deepwater Horizon disaster in the Gulf of Mexico. The Huma Indians had been driven to the most isolated swamplands on the continent to find a place where they could independently maintain their Indian ways of life, language, medicine, arts, traditions and ceremonies. It would be hard for one to imagine the struggles the Humas would face and be forced to endure in the years to follow before gaining state and federal recognition. The first written historical mention of the Humas occurred in 1682 when French explorer La Salle noted a Huma village on the east bank of the Mississippi River opposite the Red River near what is now West Valencia Parish, Louisiana. The total population of the tribe was estimated at between 600 and 700 members at the time of the first encounter, and by the beginning of the 18th century about half the tribe died of disease introduced through contact with the Europeans. Now in the year 2011, following the aftermath of the Deepwater Horizon disaster, the Indian nation and those in the area have been deeply affected as a result of the Deepwater Horizon disaster and also the dumping of toxic materials in their very community. My guest today, Dr. Michael Robichaud, Clarice Frilou, R.J. Molliner, and Pat O'Brien. Join me to talk about the community and the impact upon their lives since 1984, when toxic dumping came to their town. And also, they talk to the effects of the materials now in the air and the water column as a result of the Deepwater Horizon disaster. Crossing over the bridge from In Discussion. Welcome to In Discussion today and the Crossing Over the Bridge program. My guests are Dr. Mike Robichaud, Clarice Frilou, R.J. Molinaire, and I have Pat O'Brien, investigative journalist for In Discussion, who has brought this story to us. Welcome to you all. I'd like to start with yourself, Clarice, in the Huma Nation in Louisiana. Could you just start off by giving us some background to that nation and history behind this Indian nation? I'm here at the United Huma Nation Book Rehab Office here in Huma, Louisiana. I work here as an outreach coordinator since the BP spill. Uh, I also do, um, uh, I'm a, one of the leaders, concerned citizens of Grambois. I'm not too familiar with, with the tribe as a whole. I just uh, started working here. But um, I, so that, that's kind of going to be off. Uh, Dr. Mike Robichaud could probably answer more questions than I could about the, the Huma Nation. I made up. But I, uh, I, I know we've been fighting for recognition for the last 30 years. And so, uh, David, I, I, don't, I can't answer too much more about the tribe. Dr. Robichaud, the Huma Indian community, what can you tell me about that and your work that you're participating in? Well, uh, the, the Homa Nation, by the way, is a, uh, a 17,000-member tribe. It's a United Homa Nation, and it's a, um, uh, it's a very interesting thing. My wife was chief of the tribe, principal chief, for 12 years, and um, it's been largely a matriarchal tribe. We now have a, a male uh, chief, but prior to that, the last uh, 16, 20 years or so, uh, it's been largely matriarchal, and it, it goes back to Iberville, uh, the times of Iberville, uh, that, that it was matriarchal. The city of, Bra uh, of Baton Rouge was named after a, a red stick that was a, uh, 
was the boundary marker between the Bayagula and the Homa tribe called the Baton Rouge, and so that's how Baton Rouge got its name. Uh, it's been a very active tribe. It's, it, uh, most of the tribal members live along the bayous of South Louisiana. They fish and work in the oil industry, both of which have been severely uh, affected by this. My wife should be the guy uh, answering these questions and, and talking about this because she's much, much more familiar with it than anybody else. So I think I'll leave it at that. It's a, it's a, it's a tribe, by the way, of, of wonderful people, and I, I married into it, and uh, it's uh, the finest people that I've known in my life. May I ask you, is the nation recognized by the state of Louisiana? Yes. R.J. Molinet, you are having symptoms that is a result, quite possibly, of the disaster last year. Can you just briefly, before I go back to the doctor, ask you, what are those symptoms? Well, ever since I've been out there, uh, I had to go out, out with my boat a few times. And uh, I tell you what, you know, we passed through that nasty stuff. Uh, I, I would try to put my, my if I had a, a handkerchief or my shirt, I'd put it over my face because the smell was so bad. And uh, I seen some bad stuff out there. And my throat hadn't been the same. Uh, I feel like I got a burning in my throat since ever since I've been back and forth through this stuff. And your sinus is all... Stop, you know, your signs are all screwed up. Is this effectively flu symptoms? Exactly, sir. It's, uh, it, it, you know, you, you know, you always have some kind of Ill, illness of, of some, some, some type of flu sickness. Yes. And as far as BP and their affiliates are concerned, have they been positioned in your area? Have they helped at all? No, not in the area where we are. No, sir. Dr. Robichaud, this obviously is a result of the Deepwater Horizon disaster. It appears November, December saw an awful lot of people ill with this, quite possibly at home, believing that it was simply flu symptoms. When did it become apparent to you that this was more than that? Well, actually, the, the, the symptoms that they have are largely not flu. This, these were RJ's symptoms. They, 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 they've had similar type problems. But it's been absolutely fascinating. I'm a news hound. That's what I do for, it's my hobby. I, uh, I read five newspapers a day, cut out clippings, scan them, put them in the computer. And I'm probably the most, uh, the best read person in the state on oil spill. I, uh, I actually took all those papers, and I think Clarice and, and uh, RJ saw this, uh, and her husband Danny saw it. I laminated every sheet of every paper on that. And out of the, um, out of all the papers that I, I read and so forth, until after the spill, I was not aware of anybody having a single problem. And I was looking for problems because I'm a populist, and I treat people all the way from the Gulf up to my area. And then a couple of weeks ago, I received a, uh, a call from a beautiful lady by the name of uh, um, Mary Lior. And Mary asked her if I would draw some blood on some people for volatile organic compounds because a lot of people were having problems with this. So I saw these people in the office and uh, was really a very much of a skeptic about this because during the course of the spill, my wife is is the ultimate uh, is the ultimate chief, okay, and she was a uh, very 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 much on top of things. And uh, we asked questions of our best friends who were involved with the spill. Nothing, no symptoms were forthcoming. So I, I start drawing blood on these people and I realized that not only were we having problems. We've been having major problems and serious illnesses. A three-year-old that was swimming in a, a swimming pool in Pensacola, Florida, of all places, they were cleaning the booms with the booms of structures that they used to contain the oil and then, and then uh, get out of the water. 
and the child didn't get out of the pool. When he returned home to Baton Rouge, he was violently ill. The father had him put in the hospital. They ran all kinds of studies on him. They found out that he had, uh, they thought he had some urinary tract problems and was, was just seriously ill. Had to operate on him and so forth. When uh, the father was ready to go from the hospital, he asked the doctors if they would, if they thought it was possible that he might have been associated with his, um, uh, with the exposure to the fumes from the, from the oil spill. And he was very, <laughs> treated very indignantly and told that there was absolutely no way that this was it and was released and uh, under sort of a, with a bad taste in the daddy's mouth because uh, they wouldn't even look at this. It turns out that this kid had high levels of, uh, of these elements. For my own purpose, for my own case, I've been seeing patients in the office, and when I'm asking questions about it, they don't come to me complaining about these problems. But when I start asking questions, it is absolutely phenomenal how many people have serious problems. And one of the most serious problems that they're dealing with, well, some of them are, um, are pulmonary problems. But I've got, for example, one of my dear friends, who I know very well, who worked the whole spill, and he was coming to me for some uh, pulmonary problems that wouldn't clear. And uh, I, um, I treated him, and uh, they, by the way, his problems lasted for about two and a half months. And then one day I came in and said, he came in, I said, uh, uh, Andy, have you been noticing some problems with your memory and headaches and whatever else? He said, Mike, I can't remember a damn thing. He said, I've lost it. That is the main thing that I'm seeing from people that were closest to the spill. Severe headaches, fatigue, weakness, and uh, really dramatic um, memory problems and so forth. So it's been phenomenal. I had the two kids that came to the office today, two young ladies that had peculiar coughs, and it turns out that both of them were exposed to the oil spill. And I'd have never made this diagnosis in a million years had it not been for me seeing all these other people. And uh, none of them thought about it. One of them's uh, mother, her brother was working in the oil spill, and I had to pull this out of the family. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, his clothes were being washed in there. And I've had a couple of wives who were ill because of this. And then the other one had been down in, in, uh, in Galveston, uh, not in Galveston, in Gulfport, and she was in the water and described how she had oil on her feet and how she swam in the water and so forth. So this is unbelievable. It's taking, it's it's like a nuclear reaction that once you get people started, they they and and and, and talk, uh, zone in on what the problems are. We're finding that many many have problems, and I'm not a guy going out and looking for these problems. Believe me, they're just there. And these are two people in my practice who I'd not suspected this of, but had these peculiar problems that everybody else is having. And it turns out that that's what they've got. This is concurring with the problems that have been experienced by the indigenous tribes in the Andes after the oil spills there. We have been exploring the chemicals being used. And what, in your mind as a holistic doctor, is the most dangerous? Is it the combination of the chemicals? Is it the oil? Or is it when these two come together? Well, I'm, I'm really not qualified to give you a toxicological overview of this, but you see, I'm very much familiar with Clarice Frilo and, and Grand Bois. Let, let me give you some background in this. Back in 1976, the United States passed RICRA. The Congress passed RICRA, which was the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act. And what this did was gave the EPA the jurisdiction over the handling, transportation, and storage of hazardous material. The oil and gas industry obviously didn't want to be restricted, so they got an uh, they were exempt from this, but they promised to run a study. The study was run during the Reagan administration, and during the Reagan administration, they told Congress that this was not hazardous, and they created a category of oil spill, oil spill waste called now, non-hazardous oil spill waste. 
Now, it turns out that non-hazardous oil field waste actually is hazardous because they lied to Congress and a woman by the name of Carla Greathouse and uh, EPA director at that time, Browner, both went on the 60 Minutes uh, program and said that this was something that deceived Congress and we needed to re- revisit this. What this allowed these people to do was to take hazardous materials and dump them in Grenoble, Louisiana, next to the homes where Clarice and her husband live. Not only that, during the spill, they used hundreds of thousands of gallons of methanol and ethylene glycol as antifreezes to prevent these rises from freezing up so they could gather the oil. Well, normally they use this during these procedures, but they're in a closed loop. But the minute that material touched the water and it was in the open system, let me back up a little bit and tell you that methanol is wood alcohol, 10 cc's blinds you, 30 cc's kills you. Uh, anybody in South Louisiana knows that you've got a dog, a uh, neighbor's dog is digging in your, uh, in your flower bed and you want to get rid of him, you put some antifreeze on a weenie and he's gone. They're both highly toxic materials. They pumped hundreds of thousands of gallons of this into the water just freely, and it, some mixed with the oil, and the other rest of it was just dispersed. The minute it became, it touched the water, it became part of the exploration and production of petroleum products, which by definition was non-hazardous. That same material is being collected and brought to Grandbois as we speak, and it is non-hazardous. Legally. This is U.S. liquids that are involved in this? I really don't know the current name of it. It's been sold a couple of times in the past. But I think that's the facility you're talking about. Clarice can correct that. Clarice, let me ask you that question. Are there permits issued for this dumping in your area? It's been since 19, I mean, 1984. Uh, in 94, um, we, uh, we, uh, we were able to catch Exxon bringing in some waste that had hydrogen sulfide, benzene, and you, I mean, it's a, it's a host of us. Uh, chemicals that were being dumped there. And uh, at this point, uh, it's U.S. Liquids of Louisiana. I think that they sell every two years, every 10 years to, uh, uh, they go under a different name every 10 years. But um, the, the permitting, they get, uh, every so often they have to reapply for a permit. And at this point, they're asking to, uh, to get a, a, a renewal permit for, um, for our air discharge and water monitoring and also to close down the pit closest to Grandbois. My feeling about that is they're asking for one now, and it's been 15 years overdue. And the reason why they're asking for it, in my opinion, is that they brought in some boom and possibly some, uh, some waste from the BP spill. Well, that would raise the question, therefore, are the operations under permit or are they out of status? Uh, right now, they're applying for one. We have a meeting, a permit meeting uh, this month, at the end of the month. I'm pretty sure it's like the 28th or the 30th of, uh, of, of uh, March. And did this dumping take place because of the Deepwater Horizon disaster, or was that just part of the long term here? Well, they, they do it on a daily basis, like since, since 1984 to present day, but uh, the week after the BP spill, U.S. liquids of Louisiana uh, was taking in a lot more waste than they had before. I mean, we've seen days where we had 16 barges parked in the canals with uh, the barges listed as uh, 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 hazardous material. Well, not hazardous material, dangerous cargo. And also a lot of different trucks coming in, different type trucks than what we normally see in the Grand area. So it, it just gr- draws us to the conclusion that they're probably getting it not directly from 
um, BP itself, but probably maybe through another uh, company being contract, doing contract work for other companies. RJ Molina, what is the impact on your town in the long term here with the dumping of these chemicals and generally after the Deepwater Horizon, what has occurred and how has it changed the culture? It's, um, it's, um, I'm to the point right now that um, I'm disgusted with what it's done to my place of where I live with my family and where my people's been for over 150 years. And I'm to the point of inhaling toxic waste every time they got an east wind. I just want to go over there and just clean house over there. But that's what they want us to do so that they could claim us as, you know, you know, uh, that's the kind of people that they look, they want us to get crazy and start tearing down fences and tearing up their place. But we want to do it, but we're not, we're some good people. But it didn't, it just destroyed our town that we were so proud of. And we're still proud of it because we're going to get this town back like it was. But it took a big toll. We lost a bunch of our friends. They moved out. Um, and it's just, um, it's aggravating. It's to the point that you just want to just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm to the point right now, it's, uh, it's really, really bad. It's real, you know, you, you, you had a party, at, you're trying to have a party at your house and the east wind starts blowing, people's looking around like, what is that smell? And it makes you feel, you know, really dirty and, and it's, it, it, it's terrible. It's just, uh, it's taking a big toll on me right now because I'm worried about my family. And I got, I'm going to do what I got to do to take care of my family. Does the chemical company itself, Mr. Molina, participate in any meetings in your community? Are they available for discussion? No, sir. David, they, we, we, the only time we see the, the, the company rep is during a permit application or a permit hearing. Other than that, they, they have no contact with the Ganabawa community. Dr. Robichaud, the biggest danger of this, is it the infiltration of the water column or is it the air quality? <clears throat> I, I think it's probably a combination of both. What's happening right now, which is really of interest, one of my patients who was violently ill, we got him better, went out and uh, went to Grand Isle this weekend. And with the weather for warming up, I think what's happening, a lot of this stuff is, is sort of boiling up from the bottom of the Gulf where it went with the dispersants. And it's coming up now. And so... <laughs> He was out there this weekend and got violently ill because um, he saw him spraying. And he was a guy that was at the site at the beginning of the, uh, he was at the site when the uh, oil spill occurred, when the explosion occurred, and pulled survivors and parts of survivors out of the water. So um, he went out there, he said, I saw the scout planes, I saw him spraying the, uh, and I just talked to him today about it. He said, I saw him spraying the dispersant, and uh, he got violently ill, came home, and uh, we had to start all over in his treatment. So uh, I, I think the I don't think there's any question that the dispersant is causing the problem. I um, I'm planning on tomorrow looking into uh, going to the uh, federal government and trying to see if I can get some kind of stay on the, on them using this any longer, and we'll see what we're going to do. But uh, it's it's un, it's an unacceptable thing. This is a terribly difficult question, but I'm going to pose it anyway. Long-term effects for people. This is clearly not an illness that is going to go away quickly, but what are the effects psychologically as well as physically? Well, let me tell you about a couple of the physical effects. I, brought, I, was, I, I made a presentation because nobody's covered this, okay? You guys are, you guys are plowing some new fields over here. Um, nobody but Al Jazeera has covered this on a national level at all. 
And I was able to get to the Baton Rouge Press Club yesterday, and I made a presentation to them. And they had a couple of articles in the paper about it. And so we're making some headway. But I brought to the uh, to the uh, meeting a fellow by the name of Freddie Lambert. Freddie um, had some of this oil material off of a boom splash in his face. His eyes got sore. Uh, he began losing his vision almost immediately and has lost his vision completely in both of his eyes. The hospital he, he went to, um, uh, he said, would you kindly, and they told him that his optic nerves are gone, so he, he's got permanent blindness. He said, would you kindly uh, write a letter to the fact that this oil spill caused this? They refused to do so. They said, there's no way for us to prove that that material that's splashed into your eyes and you immediately lost your vision and you've lost it completely since then caused this. So this is the kind of problems these people are dealing with. But that's a permanent thing. We've got this other boy from uh, Pensacola, Florida, by the name of uh, Paul Doom. And Paul, the 22-year-old about to join the Marines, was swimming in this material, had violent seizures after this, and wound up um, going from hospital to hospital where they told him he was faking his seizures. His mother and I actually had to, I was with her on several occasions where we actually had to hold him in his gurney and, uh, and stretcher to keep from jumping out when he had these seizures. And it was, uh, and they, they, they told this family and this boy that he was faking these things. So it's an absolutely, un, it's a surreal type situation. And um, it's, it's been very interesting to deal with. So, so he's paralyzed. Okay, so these are the permanent things. But the problems that my patients are having with the psychological problems, there was a young man by the name, I'm going to give him a plug, by the name of Jim Woolworth, who was, a, um, was involved with... Uh, uh, some of the 9-11 people that were uh, affected by the toxicity of the fumes and so forth in that area. And he came by a while back, and I'm a, I'm a skeptic at, at the best. And um, he told us about what was available and so forth. And um, uh, so and he, he mentioned yesterday he was 98% certain he was going to have funding for our, our cause because we don't have anybody helping these people. They're, they're losing everything they have. And um, so I called him back a day or so after I'd spoken to him originally, and he said, Mike, that's the first thing that will improve. The psychological problems and so forth, the first things that will get better. As for the, uh, so all of this memory loss and so forth, uh, we have, we, we're very hopeful that that will clear up. And so there's hope for that. I think these pulmonary problems that I'm seeing uh, so very much of, because they clear up with the corticosteroids temporarily anyhow, I think those will clear. But um, it all remains to be seen. Uh, as far as the psychological problems, I've got a couple of young men over here that can't support their families. Uh, one man lost his home. He was being evicted the day that I met him uh, from from a, a second home. Uh, his in-laws have put up, have spent every penny that they have on his care. Uh, there's no, there's nothing. This is like this is worse than third world countries. Third world countries probably in many cases have more benefits to help their people out than that. And this has been a nonstop thing. So I worry about these guys committing suicide, having some major psychological problems. What I've been trying to do on my end from from that standpoint is to get them involved in working with this. And we're we're going to put together a, a website over the weekend, hopefully, and then uh, we're going to have a meeting in uh, on June the on uh, uh, the sixth of next month at my home where we're going to have victims and, and the press and so forth and attorneys talking about various and sundry things. So we're moving in the right direction. But um, it's, a, it's a formidable task, and it's, a, um, it's, a, it's an absolutely amazing, amazing phenomenon that this could be occurring in the United States of America. You know, uh, George Bush ignored us down here with Katrina, and uh, I, I'm a big fan of the, 
the president. Okay, no question about that. But uh, this is his Katrina. He's got to get off the the uh, proverbial pot and do something about this. And I think his his people probably have not informed him. We've done our best, but we've been unsuccessful in getting anything done. What about uh, Western medicine, uh, Dr. Robichaud? Is Western medicine, are the local hospitals, local doctors aware of this completely and understand the symptoms, or are they somewhat lost with this problem? I think they're lost, number one, too, but they're scared more than anything else. They, um, Everybody that goes in, they're, they're, and they, if they mention oil and gas industry, they're worried about being in lawsuits or whatever else. That's all I can think of. I'm just one. I'm an ear, nose, and throat doctor. Okay, I don't specialize in any of this. I uh, I love the practice of medicine. I'm 65 years old. I uh, I have a free clinic at my house every day that I'm not in the office. I love what I do. I'd like to give back a little bit of all the blessings I've gotten out of being a doctor. And uh, so I'm very passionate about this, and I like clinical medicine. So when somebody comes in the office, they often leave saying, "Damn, Doctor Mike." treated me for everything, but I came in here for a runny nose, and he's got me on diabetes medicine, and so forth and so on. So that's the kind of medicine I, I enjoy practicing. So it's, it, this has been a um, has been something intriguing. Not all the doctors over here are indifferent to this. I think a lot of them would be willing to, if they even remotely understood what was going on, uh, I think they'd be willing to help. But um, for the most part, everybody's frightened. Of the population of the community, how many would you say are showing symptoms? Well, I've just got about 40 people that I've drawn blood on, and I'm only taking care of people that, uh, that, um, um, that uh, Mary Leor sends me, okay? And so, uh, but I would say that we've probably got but, but of groups of people that I've met with, and I think when we get these, these fishermen together, you see, my father-in-law is a fisherman. They, they, these is a subsistent fisherman. He lives from drag of the trawl to drag of the trawl, and so forth. And of course, there's not not much to catch right now. This is such a, a surreal situation that uh, I don't think any physicians, Western physicians, Eastern physicians, at all really have a handle on it at all. And uh, I think they just don't have a clue as to what to do. And what would be the best approach to this? Do you need to be armed with detox kits, or, or what do you need down there? Well, I think, like I said, this this young man, uh, Mr. Woolworth, uh, is a is a fine young man, and we're hoping that he'll be able to get down here soon and help us with this. In the meantime, uh, for these guys with corticosteroids, the only thing that's helping uh, for these people, and I've got so many, I've got a whole bunch of people. It's been really interesting because I love doing this. Uh, I've got a whole bunch of people that I've realized have diabetes with this. Okay, and this is they are all reactive hypoglycemia, which is a variant of that. And uh, these are people that were perfectly healthy before. And so um, there's, all, there's a myriad of things that are happening and occurring and, and so forth. And we're going to probably have this tiny little group that, we got, that I'm working with right now. And, and as, as it grows, we're going to probably have more data to show people than anything has ever been done before. Because nobody's ever been interested in it. Nobody's ever taken it from a clinical standpoint. These people are seeing excellent doctors and not getting the correct care because they're trying to treat either one entity or they're not looking at the big picture of the possibility of this being from a, a toxic exposure. By taking it, and, and, and this is where I normally practice medicine, so it's not a, I'm not going out of my normal comfort zone with this. So um, I don't think it's a doctor's fault so much. It's just uh, a tincture of ignorance and, uh, and just um, a lack of uh, initiative on their part to want to become involved. 
Mr. Molyneux, how has the local economy been impacted in your community and, and what is the lifestyle? Is it fishing? Is that still intact, particularly since the Deepwater Horizon disaster? Well, um, you know, you just hear about the fishermen that, that, that's worried about what's going to happen for this, for this opening season of the brown shrimp. And everybody, you know, at one time you used to see them in the hardware stores and, and say, man, it looking, it's looking good this year. And everybody was all excited to get their boats fixed. You're not seeing that much happening this year because everybody's wondering what's out there. And they're not wondering. They know what's out there. It's still out there. They never did anything. So the fishermen are not, they're totally different compared to what it used to be. They are either not going to trawl or shrimp or anything like that, or they're just going to sit back and see what the other shrimpers are going to bring in. They're going to bring in a boatload of oil and, uh, Stuff like that. And I talked to a fisherman, and he told me that uh, a month ago that the uh, female crabs should have been coming in, did not come in yet. So that's telling us right there that something's going wrong. So I hear talking about the fishing is gonna, it's not going to be the same. The oysters, are, 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 the ones that died, are not going to grow back at at all unless you know they do something different to the bottom. So, um, and, and it's just, I hear it every day. Clarice Rouleau, let's go back, if we may, to the dumping ground in your area. Trying to clarify here if this is U.S. Liquids or it's a, an affiliate of BP. Who is the organization that is responsible for this? Uh, it's, it's U.S. Liquids of Louisiana, but uh, at, at every oil and gas company, if they have weight, it could be VP, Exxon, Chevron, you name it, name the company, they're coming here to dump. Uh, because it's, it's considered a, non, a, a, a non-hazardous off-field waste site. So even if the materials are hazardous materials, it, just because it came from an oil and gas production well or whatever, it could be placed here in my community as non-hazardous waste. And so um, it, it, it's the who's who of the oil and gas industry that comes and dumps in our backyard. So it's not just one. It, it could be VP. It could be, like I said, Exxon. It doesn't matter. If it's all field waste, it's coming to me. My understanding is that you have no communication with either U.S. liquids or any of these companies that are allowing U.S. liquids to dump these chemicals? No, not at all. Um, that, like I said earlier, the, the only time uh, we see any people from U.S. liquids is at permit hearings where they're there selling their story about how nice this facility is and how... Um, it's safe for the people. There's nothing going on there, and that they're 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 uh, they're permitted by the state of Louisiana, so it makes it legal for them to dump um, hazardous material in in our community because of their sweetheart sweetheart deal they they got from Congress. What about the economic benefit to the community by this dumping? Is there any? No, there's none. I mean, no one in the community works there. The only thing we're getting out of U.S. liquids of Louisiana is heartache. We're being poisoned, our grounds are being polluted, our air, our water, you name it. They've, they've haven't, they haven't done anything for the Grumbois community except lower our values of our homes. And now, you know, they're, they're slowly poisoning us. So we're not gaining anything from U.S. liquids being there. The only people that are gaining anything from U.S. liquids is the oil and gas and U.S. liquids itself. It would be fair to say that U.S. liquids is negligent in this dumping, given particularly that the permit may or may not be in status. Would that be a fair statement at this stage? 
U.S. liquids of Louisiana is that they're probably the most irresponsible company that I know of. Um, you know, I, I don't understand how this, this could be allowed to happen uh, 300 feet from the nearest home. I mean, we, we had a beautiful community in Grambois. We're still there, but we, we, we suffer a lot. I mean, we see kids sick with different types of, uh, of, of problems. You know, we've lost a couple of people to rare forms of cancer. But then again, when you go to doctors or anywhere as you go for help, um, no one wants to help you because once you tell them you live next to an off-field waste site, they're scared. Dr. Robichaud, just looking at this briefly, would you say that most of these health problems are actually coming from this dump in the community or coming from the chemicals that are still being sprayed today over the Gulf of Mexico? Well, the, the, uh, I don't think any of these things, there's no way for me to answer that question. Some of the pro- None of the problems that I'm dealing with are coming from Grosbois, okay? It's coming from the materials that are being dumped in Grosbois, and anybody that get, gets ill at Grosbois at this point in time is probably related to that. What's been amazing, fascinating to me, is that just fumes have been getting to people. They don't have to touch it. They don't have to do anything else. So uh, in the core exit, uh, day after day after day seems to be the number one thing. You know, the core exit is a, is a political entity. There's a lot of other things that are, are significantly safer that they could have been using in this. But this was created by Exxon. And uh, I think on the board of directors, I read just a couple of days ago that uh, uh, they've got a former BP head that's on the board of directors along with a former one of the former directors of Exxon. So... Um, that's why they've insisted on using it, apparently. And, uh, you know, the probably be damned. They get away with anything they want to get away with. You have to understand the reason the United Home and Nation has never gotten its uh, uh, federal recognition, in spite of the fact that it's got a, it's a petition, it's a phenomenal petition, with statements from some of the most famous anthropologists, uh, with data from some of the most anth- famous anthropologists in the country's history, is the oil and gas industry. The oil and gas industry years ago agreed to... Uh, uh, they wouldn't block them if they if the Indians uh, agreed not to uh, file land claims against them because they they had all this land that was stolen from the Indians years ago and of course the, the, there's no way that the the tribe could get those lands back but they were not going to give them the satisfaction of uh, of signing such a paper and so um, it's they've lost their they just haven't gotten federal recognition. Do we have any evidence that these oil dumps are? Anywhere else in the state? Not that I'm aware of. I think this is only this is only open. It's uh, Clarice may be aware of uh, of some that they have elsewhere, but I've uh, I don't uh, I don't know of any of them in the, uh, in the state of Louisiana. But but the, 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 what's unique about this one was that it was built illegally close to this community, and so forth. So it shouldn't have been there in the first place. Clarice, for Lou, I've just visited the Zuni Nation in New Mexico. They have similar problems. In, in your situation, is the land that you live on owned by your nation or is it owned by the federal government? No, uh, we don't live on a reservation. We, we all own our, you know, our own properties there. The, the, the original people of Grambois uh, owned their properties. It was you know, most Native American. And you know we still own our property today. You know we've sold we sold a couple of pieces here and there to outsiders, but Grabois is mostly um, it, it's not federally owned at all. And and you know one of the things that I worry about about the medicals is that most of our the 17,000 uh, tribe members live on the coast from Plaquemines Parish to St. Mary's Parish, which takes over the whole Louisiana 
And what we're going to start seeing is our men, our HOMA, um, they went out there and, and worked vessels of opportunity. And, and I have a feeling that, that um, we're going to see the outfall of this soon. And we've seen some trickling in of people coming in complaining about different uh, symptoms. And what scares me the most is that in, in 10 years, they may, have, they may have wiped half our people. So that's a scary part for us to even consider. And like we said earlier, we don't have the fun to direct these people where to go or, or even how to explain to them what to look for and what symptoms uh, to, to maybe receive help other places. So, you know, we're, we're left useless at this point. Would it be acceptable to simply say in this situation, this would be appointed to the three of you, that essentially you've been abandoned by the federal government and by the oil companies involved in this? Dr. Robichaud, your thoughts on that? They, they abandoned us a long time ago, but they're, they're not only abandoned the home nation, they've abandoned this whole state, they've abandoned this whole country, and uh, we've been abused and, and, uh, and so forth by this industry to such a great extent over the years that uh, uh, we have to, somebody's got to wake up and, and, and make a stand against them. They're so powerful that, you know, we have a, a, a fine uh, senator named uh, Mary Landrew, but Mary can't, Mary is unwilling to make a stand on anything against the oil and gas industry. I mean, she's their best buddy in the whole world, and uh, she knows what they do and what they are, but it's just, uh, it's just nobody, nobody's willing to stand up to them. Is there any recognition in your community that there is actually more oil or more spills in the Gulf of Mexico or off Grand Boy? Well, Grand Boy is not really on the Gulf. We're more inshore, but our men go out into the you know the, the Gulf to do fishing and stuff. But um, to me, I, I think we we've had a couple of spills in the past that were not reported, and just like with the the disaster, the BP disaster. You know, a lot of the, the things that went on out there that, that we get reports of haven't been in the media. You know, we've seen uh, people uh, showing us different types of uh, evidence or, or, or even logs of the activities in the Gulf that you, you've never seen on television. Or even just word of mouth of people uh, describing the scenes out there that no one else knows about. When the Deepwater Horizon occurred, did the men in your community go out in the cleanup operations? Were they employed by BP affiliates? Yes, they were. They, um, a lot of them, well, it, you didn't have a shrimp season. And, you know, they have to make money. And they've seen it as a, a way to, to support their families. So they were, they were sent out there. A lot of them were sent out there without the proper uh, safety equipment and not knowing any better. And, and that's where my position came in, where I was, since I was uh, uh, familiar with what goes on, uh, living next to Northfield Wayside, is to kind of go out there and visit these different communities and let them know that they need to protect themselves. Wear your mask, wear your gloves, wear your protective clothing, and leave your stuff behind. Don't bring it home to your family. That was my biggest thing. Was That was my job, to go out there and try to educate people about the risk that they were taking, working offshore, doing the cleanup. Mm -hmm. And I, I wish someone could have done that for me all these years ago. Were they appropriately compensated for their work? I think they were, but for the long haul, probably not, because your life is worth more than that. And what about the media? Uh, there has certainly, in our world, 
Uh, it appears that we're one of the few, if not the only, program that is talking about this. There appears to be a media shutdown right across that whole quadrant of the United States. What has the response been to you and that community to these problems? You know, I, uh, as soon as the, uh, the, the well was capped, it's like, okay, it's over with. But for us here in, in, in Louisiana, we know that um, uh, the, the well may have been capped, but we still had oil coming in inshore. So we just went on with our lives. For us as Louisianans, we, 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 it continues. It's, it's, this didn't end. It didn't end when the well was capped. And we're waiting for um, the waters to heat up and for the oil to come back to the surface, which it will sooner or later. And now it's, 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 the worry is going to be, will we have a shrimp season? Will we have an oyster season? Will we have a crab season? And will they be okay? And, and, and if we do eat the seafood, is it safe? Or are we going to have to pay the cost later with our lives? Dr. Robichaud, taking benefit from the program uh, in people listening to this, could you explain, define what people should be looking for in terms of symptoms and how they should act appropriately? Okay, well, the first symptoms that I've, I've been seeing have been uh, people with obvious things, they're coughing, okay? And uh, it's been interesting in that the cough has been very peculiar. I don't expect anybody to recognize the difference in the cough because they haven't listened to a coughing for over 40 years. <clears throat> but the cough has been uh, one of the more prominent things. Headaches have been very prominent. Memory loss has been prominent. Fatigue's been prominent. Dizziness has been prominent, and the dizziness frequently is associated with blood sugar problems. So I began, I, I have to understand there's no funds for this, so I bought some glu- uh, a group of glucometers and blood pressure cuffs and so forth, and I've been giving them out, and we're having people coming back with all kind of blood sugar problems and elevated blood pressures and so forth. So there's a whole myriad of things that are, that are over there, but I would say pulmonary number one, fatigue, dizziness, headaches, and memory loss. Uh, that would be in the top the top things. And then the others have had nausea and vomiting, bloody um, bloody stools, bloody vomiting and so forth. But they have been more in the minority. What would be the best course of action as to where they could go once they realize these symptoms? Well, most of it is just being treated symptomatically. We're hoping that this uh, that Jim Wood, uh, Woolworth uh, is the treatment that he's going to bring us, uh, hopefully in the near future, be effective, and I think that's the way to go. Uh, this detoxification. Um, I'm, I'm not into. Um, I'm into common sense medicine, and not necessarily holistic medicine. I've just seen too many things that are uh, too many areas that have been abused in these areas. But uh, this guy sounds so legit, and he uh, he's got a bunch of people that he treated from New York that did extremely well. So I think that's where it's going to be. And the rest of the things, just treating them symptomatically. You know. Uh, um, just uh, you got a cold, you treat them with the regular medicines. You, I mean, a cough, you treat them as you normally treat a cough. The corticosteroids seem to be the only thing that are working, but you can't give those forever. Mr. Molinay, you're suffering with these symptoms. Do you know of others in your community who have similar problems? Um, we never, I've never talked to them about it, but everything Dr. Mike said, my head dropped a little bit further down every time he would say it because I got that, that cough. That I was telling y'all about earlier that uh, my throat kept, keeps bothering me since I've been around there. And everything Dr. Mike said, I probably got every one of them. And I'll probably be in his office tomorrow getting my blood drawn because I'm really scared now. Because uh, everything, you know, I hear, I, I, I have some friends that 
was on on there out there, and their voices are not the same compared to what it was before. So like they have a, like a hoarse voice when they speak. So well, everything Dr. Mike was saying, I know some friends right now and some fishermen that has the same sim symptom. So that's not good. I don't like to hear that. But, but you know, we gotta try to see if we can help to see what we can do with it. But uh, that's scary what I just heard. Clarice Verlou, uh, let's return in the last five minutes of the program to US Liquids. What would you want to say to this organization? What would you want to say to the federal government so that they can stop dumping these materials? What, the first thing I would do is ask Congress and to revisit materials. the original law. Second thing would be to allow us to go in and test the materials, not as non-hazardous, but as straightforward. If you have benzene there, let's call it benzene, let's call it hazardous material. And to allow us to do independent testing on our own, uh, we, we could team up together with the Department of Environmental Quality or Department of uh, Natural Resources. And uh, that's what I'd like to do and, and bring this forward. And, and then we could see that the people of Granboa are living in a hazardous waste site we're living too close to a hazardous waste site, and that it should be uh, cleaned up, uh, removed, and brought back to its natural state. I feel like um, we've been taken advantage of. They, they've, they come into our community and destroyed what we call paradise. They came on Indian land, and they, they took away our fishing ground. They took away what my grandfather and great-grandfather thought was, that this is how you live off the land. You preserve your land. And, and that's how Indian people believe is, is, you know, we're protectors of the earth. And so to have this facility sitting there poisoning the people and poisoning the, the land, it's, um, it's a disgrace to, to the, the, the human race. Honestly, I would, um, I would have to have uh, the federal government come in and just clean up, clean house there. Have you attempted that before to bring in the governor or federal representative to negotiate this with U.S. liquids? Yeah, uh, yes, we have. Um, Senator, well, former Senator Mike Robichaud, Dr. Mike Robichaud, <laughs> was our leader in, 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 in Baton Rouge. And uh, Dr. Mike tried to get some laws changed, and uh, it didn't work. Because, you know, of course, we were not only fighting the only gas industry, we were fighting the state of Louisiana. So, um, yes, we have the governor uh, at the time came into uh, Granboa and visited for a short period of time. And then he claimed that... Um, the only reason why we wanted this facility shut down was because we had a huge lawsuit. And so um, uh, the local politicians, some would, would back us behind the scenes but not forward. Dr. Mike Rowley Show was one of the people who didn't mind standing up in front of, uh, in front of the, the Senate or the House and, and plead our case. And we've done this a number of times in Baton Rouge, and nothing's happened. I mean, they, they, they more or less just called us liars and that we're trying to strangle the oil and gas industry. And all we want to do is live a normal life like everyone else does in our peaceful Kanawha area. And, and, you know, we want that for our kids and now, you know, our grandkids. Dr. Robichaud, if you attempted this again to mediate this with the state and with these companies, do you believe that you would come up against the same problems, the same opposition? No, it'd be worse. <laughs> the, the, the state legislature for the first time in history is now more Republican than it ever was. And unfortunately, the Republicans, not only statewide, but nationally, nationally, just follow this, uh, some Looney Tune uh, directives that somebody gives them and 
and uh, and nothing has to make any sense. It just has to be whatever position the the uh, party takes on things. You know, a lot of my good friends are Republicans, but they they really have uh, given up their integrity and given up their their ability to be free thinkers by doing this. And I don't really consider myself a Republican or Democrat because when we had con- uh, dishonest Democrats in office, I was fighting them just like I'm fighting Republicans right now. And if things switch tomorrow, I'll be back doing the same thing. So um, I don't see anything better. This is even worse. Right now we have a uh, um, <laughs> a, uh, a governor who is really just so so caught up with big business and he's married to him directly. And uh, there's just no hope. But he won't. I'm going to predict on tele, on the radio right now. I'm not a gambler, but I'd be willing to bet uh, almost anything that he won't be our next governor. So, uh, and I, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. Have you participated with the media, Doctor Robichaud? And if you have, what has their response been to this? Well, the media. I'm 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 I'm, I'm a great uh, believer in the Fourth Estate. The people that I know, and uh, and, um, and let's say Baton Rouge and my local towns are all extremely honest people, good people. But they've got to make a, a living. They've got to feed their families. Their kids have to have something on, have to be able to have clothes to go to school with and so forth. And you don't take on a violent, uh, uh, oppressive entity like the oil and gas industry and survive. So uh, I've, I've given information on these things to people that I really have a lot of respect for and I consider my friends. But um, um, nothing has happened, and, and I understand that. And I don't blame them necessarily, but it's a, it's a bit disappointing. I think we made some headroads yesterday with the uh, uh, the Baton Rouge Press Club gave us some coverage, and we got a little something in the media. So this is just the beginning, and we're going to, you know, the Internet wasn't around when I was uh, in first in office, and the Internet's there now, so uh, we're going to bombard them with a whole bunch of stuff that uh, I think it's going to make them, it's going to make them squirm. It's not going to, they're not going to lose any sleep over anything that I do, but um They'll be squirming and have to put out a few dollars to, to put out fires that they've never had to do before. And we're going to make some progress with it, with, with how much remains to be seen. Mr. Molinay, we're coming uh, to the end of the program now. What would your best wish be the outcome of this program? What would you like to occur as far as U.S. liquids is concerned uh, for your people? I'd like for them, to, like my sister was saying, clean up their, their dirt that they're doing and quit poisonous. You know, they did on the way here. I was thinking about, you know, some, you know, that you, you hear stories about people that have been gassed to death and everything else. Well, we're getting the same treatment right now, but we're taking it one day at a time. And they 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 out they they killing with the, with the gas fumes and everything else. Slow death, and it's terrible because I've been there 49 years, and I've been inhaling that stuff for the long for the longest. Now I'm concerned about my my kids and my grandkids. So. I'm like my sister. I like to see them, you know, clean up and give us back our Indian land like it was, and uh, so we could keep living, staying where we within all our life. So I like them to clean it up. Clarice Fallu, your response to that very briefly. It would be the same. Just just let us have our our, our natural grounds like they were before, and uh, to let us live a, a a good and happy life like like our our forefathers did, and and that's what I'd like to see for all of us. And I, I know no one. Um, deserves to have this this type of facility near their home, and I, I just uh, I just not I'm not happy that it's near mine, and I'd like to see it gone and, and cleaned up and bring it back to its natural state. Doctor Robert, show your final thought. <laughs> well, it, this is a, a major dilemma that we faced with, and I think the um, I, I'm 
I'm going to spend the rest of my life. My wife was an agent chief for 16 years, and I sort of put my community activism on hold at that time. But um, I'm coming back, and uh, I, uh, with the internet and with this, this is the type of thing that gives a guy like myself who loves to do this a raison d'etre, you know. So um, I'm going to spend the rest of my days uh, raising hell about this and many other problems like this in our community. And I think we can make a difference. I've seen it in the past. Uh, those people that have seen, uh, have seen what happened in our community in the past know that uh, these things can happen. Uh, it's been many years that we've been trying on put on Bob, but we're going to make another major, major push right now. And we'll just see what we'll see what we see. I'm optimistic about good things happening. Pat O'Brien, your final thoughts, having listened to our guest today. David, I got to be honest with you. I'm angry. I listened to Dr. Rubichaud and felt the pain that he was feeling. Here's a man that was a Louisiana state senator who's come out of retirement to be able to take care of these people. I listened to RJ and Clarice on a reservation that has been there for hundreds of years that is now across the street from a, a waste dump of toxins. We have talked to Wilma Supra. We have talked to Mary Lee Orr. We have talked to Billy Nungesser. We have talked to guest after guest after guest. We know there is a lot more to this story. We know we can bring not only the truth to the story, but the solutions to help the people of the Gulf. Many thanks, Pat. We unfortunately have come to the end of the program today. Uh, Dr. Mike Robichaud, uh, Clarice Relou, and RJ Molyneux, thank you for joining me today, and thank you to Pat O'Brien for bringing this story. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you. We appreciate it. And to our listeners today, I hope that you were well informed with this program. You can receive information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. Thank you.